G'day everybody, welcome to the Step Outside podcast. My name is Paul Burt and I have got online gentlemen from Tackle Tactics, home of Platypus and Z-Man, Justin Wilmer. Good morning to you, mate. Morning, Paul. How are you going? I'm all right, thank you, buddy. Sitting in the studio. Mate, how you been, pal? Uh, good, good. Yep, got a snuck out for a bit of a fish yesterday for my anniversary and got a 65 centimetre flatty and a few other bits and pieces. Oh. So good fun. Happy anniversary. A lot of prawns around at the moment across the, uh, the sort of northern parts of the country. Yeah, I keep hearing stories. There's um, there's definitely plenty of prawns around. Coming into Easter, just around the corner, of course, a lot of people do love one particular species. Now, for our southern listeners uh, throughout Victoria, Melbourne, of course, uh, South Australia, even the bottom end of WA, you might find this interesting because what we're talking about is Australia's premier sport fish, the barramundi. But we're not targeting the barra on the, I guess, the estuarines or any sort of uh, tidal water flow. We're targeting them more inland, aren't we, Justin? What's an area yeah. that a lot of people head to, mate? Today we might just head for the impoundments for a bit of a look. Mm. Uh, there's there's so many good impoundments up north and, and out towards the west as you head up north. And uh, a lot of them offer some big, big trophy barramundi, which a lot of people... You know, they pack up their gear for Easter and they head up there and they, they have a crack at them. Mate, it's one of those fish. I know a couple of my mates uh, went up there. Jay and Timmy Harris were up there only a couple of weeks ago and they were using the Z-Man frogs and just catching extraordinary-sized barramundi. I think the biggest I caught was uh, a metre seven, but it was a metre seven, I think, from the top of its fins down to its belly because it was so fat <laughs> as they do because they there's no fight for life for an impoundment barra, really, is there? There's no crocodiles. There's no tidal influence. So they're not always using their muscles to to get that strengthening up within the core. They're actually just sort of a, a fatter fish that just sits around a log-eating crayfish. What a life. Yeah, they do. They, I, they, do I think that. they eat a lot of things. I think they eat a lot of things. There are a few of the odd duck. And, uh, odd duck. Yeah. Caught a duck of, once. Um, anyway, keep yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, you know, they do, they eat the craze and, and they eat the, the big, there's some big mullet in there, big bony brim, all sorts of different species that are in there. So there's no shortage of food for them. And yeah, they don't have the, they don't have the tidal flow, which can make them trickier to catch as well, because they're not hanging in those eddies and, and hanging where, where the saltwater fish we know reliably are going to be. So impoundment can, a barra can be a lot trickier, but there is some things that we can do to, to put the odds in our favour. Mate, I did a trip up there uh, with Justin Nye from Gladstone Flying Sport Fishing Charters out of Awonga uh, for our show, Step Outside, last year, season two. And uh, we are on his boat and mate, we are looking at the logs and all that sort of stuff there, trying to find the bony brim just you know, moving across the surface. And I'm looking, there's cows on the paddocks and there's kangaroos in the fields and we're thinking, right, this is a pretty cool place. But um, we are using a Garmin Live Scope. Have you ever used that machine? I have I have been on board with a few of the guys with that low live scope stuff technology and it oh. yeah it is insane it is a game changer no doubt mate it's the bomb like seriously we we're running the frogs as well from Z-Man and at the same time we, we would see these barramundi you could tell they were the barra because they that was the shape of the outline of the fish but you could see the fish in around the snag and you could see three fish. And you knew that when you were bouncing your lure back across the surface, these fish, you could see them coming up to the top before they engulfed your lure. It was quite an amazing uh, scene. But if you don't have that technology, mate, what is it that you need to do to entice the fish to bite? Yeah, I think think a a key for people is just to remember, remember the basics of fishing anywhere, which a lot of the time is structure and bait are definitely two of the key things to look for. You might not have a sounder on your boat at all, so you can look at the landscape and look at where, oh, here's a cliff face going down into deep water. 
oh, here's a point going out. So that's going to be shallow and drop off on the edges. You know, you can see obvious structure like lilies, weed beds, timber that you can target as well. So, so start with the basics, start with structure that looks good and then try and find any bait movement or if you can see bait in the water. And then from there, it's really about looking at, there's no tide, but the wind can be an influence. So if the wind is blowing into a particular bay, it's going to blow food into that area. It's going to warm the water up, oxygenate the water. So you can use the wind. It's going to push wind lanes. It's going to push bait to the fish as well. So, so wind can be your friend. Mate, that's something I was going to ask you because you're spot on there with the wind. And, and I ask this question to a lot of people when we do fishing seminars is, do you think empowerments have, a, have some sort of tidal influence with the wind? Because as that wind pushes through the valleys at, say, 25, 30 knots, which is a, a common occurrence across yes. the central parts of Queensland, <laughs> is if you have 25, 30 knot winds pushing across that open expanse into the bays, it's pushing a volume of water. Now, out on the ocean is wave or swell is generated by wind, and it pushes that momentum towards a barrier of land, and then, of course, we get waves breaking. So on a dam, if we think outside the box, as that wind is pushing the water to whatever side it's blowing, call it the western side, the eastern side will have a slightly different water level than where the waves are crashing in up onto the bank. Therefore, it does, like you say, it, it aerates the water and it brings the fish onto an active mode of chew. What do you think? Yeah, and it definitely does. And and there's a lot of guys that you talk to that, that will go and fish those windblown bays or windblown points the other thing it does is creates a dirty water line in, that you can often see in the water. So you can find that dirty water line and work along that because the, the barrel will be ambushing fish from that dirty water line into the cleaner water and that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, definitely that wind is a factor in changing the water temperature, the, the oxygen levels, and also pushing food to the fish, just like the current would bring food to a fish in the salt water. Justin, when people are heading up to the dams, because they are doing their run now before it gets too cold, I mean, the fish don't go anywhere, but they do become a little bit more lethargic. Mate, what sort of lures would you take with you? What sort of gear would you take? I mean, for a freshwater barramundi, they do pull hard. They will try and get you into their local little nook and cranny, so to speak. But at the same time, you do want to get the fish out. What sort of gear do you recommend, mate? Yeah, it's almost it's a it's a matter of judging the impairment to a degree because some impairments do have a lot more structure and a lot more big fish, so you might up up your gear a bit for those sort of situations. And then it's a balance between some impairments. The fish there's less structure or the fish are smaller, so you can have a bit more fun fishing lighter. But generally, you want to make sure you've got enough grunt. So a lot of the time, people will fish bait cast tackle. Yeah. Uh, so they'll fish a 200 or 300 size bait cast reel. And they'll have 30 or 30 to 50 pound braid commonly on those reels. And then leader wise, it's often 60 or 80 pound leader because barra have that raspy mouth. Yeah. So they've got the capability of chewing through your leader quickly and easily. But also if you're fishing in timber, you want that sort of 80 pound leader in around the timber so that you can get that fish out. And then rod wise, of course, you need a, de a decent rod to, to pull on that sort of gear. Yeah. So a lot of the time you'll find guys will fish sort of an eight to fifteen or eight to twenty kilo rod, bait cast rod. Yep. Um, just to give them the leverage to get the, the fish out of there. It's quite a, a heavy outfit when we're talking that that size, you know, reel, that size rod, that size line and leader. But what about the lures, mate? 
if you're casting a lure, say the Z-Man Frog, because that that's yep. an iconic lure for for top water action, mate. Um, what what's how do you cast something so light? You've got wind around you. How do you get it into the spot? Yeah, for me, for me personally, throwing frogs, I generally throw them on spin tackle. Yep. So in that situation, a lot of guys will fish a a rod of around that eight to 15 kilo, maybe a little bit heavier than that. And they'll fish a 4,000 or 5,000 size reel, 30 pound braid, and that 60 to 80 pound leader again. And that spin tackle will allow you to throw those lighter lures. The guys that are good with bait casters, no problem, they'll throw those frogs on the bait caster. And in terms of fishing the frog, so the Z-Man four inch hard leg frog is the most popular surface frog because it's buoyant. So, and it's got those little paddle legs that kick. So when you get it going at the right speed, you'll hear bubble, 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 bubble as the legs bubble away. And then you'll hopefully hear boof as it gets eaten off the surface. But in terms of a hook to fish it on, we'll generally fish a TT Lewis chin locks jig head in a 6.0. And that 6.0 fits the frog perfectly. Um, But if you need a bit more casting distance, you can put a 6.0 chin locks SWS on, which is a snagless weight system. So it's actually got a weight on the belly of the hook. Which, which allows you to throw that bit further, keels the plastic, pulls those feet down and, and gets it bubbling across the surface. And all you do is lift the rod tip up and wind the lure quite quickly. So it's sort of a medium retrieve speed until you hear that bubbling yep. and then you yeah, wait for that boof. Mate, if we're going to drop down a bit under the water, what sort of lure do we go for in that situation? Are we running like the paddle tails or are we going for jerk baits? I mean, are we trying to keep it to what you'd use in the salt water or are we going a totally different kettle of fish, so to speak? Yeah, I would. So I would take uh, a lot of the time. So those frogs are awesome in areas where you cannot fish the other lures, especially, right. you know, over the top of weed, over the top of lilies, over the top of structure. Uh, where it can be a problem with other lures. You can still stick with the weedless soft plastic, which is excellent around structure and weed and lilies. And a lot of the time, because these are big fish we're dealing with, even, say, some of the dams that have got smaller fish, you'll catch a 30-centimetre barra on a 5-inch paddle tail soft plastic. Mm. And um, they just just eat them. And the paddle tail is generally the most popular option for barra because they're eating so many mullet and other other bait fish-type species. So for me, I would go to a 5-inch... Z-Man diesel minnows, and I'd put it on a 6.0, half-ounce weighted TT Lewis snake locks weedless jig head. And that that allows me to get down in amongst the weed and in amongst the structure. Mm-hmm. If I want to step up, the 6-inch swimmers has been a very, very effective lure for a lot of years in the impoundments, and I'd put that on an 8.0 snake locks. Yep. And then you can go bigger again to like an 8-inch mag swims and and big, big paddle tail plastics. And, and a lot of the time you'll see the guys even throwing them on an eight-foot bait cast rod, a big swim bait wow. rod. So wow. it's crazy. And, and the, the retrieve, when you're talking like your big swim bait rods and all that, the retrieve on, say, your, your paddle tails, you know, and you're running, say, a five or six-inch, are you are you just dead sticking it back or are you, are you giving it some sort of action? Are you wanting to lure down to the depths in front of the fish's face or are you just trying mid-water or do you alternate it? Yeah, so throughout through fishing the timber, say you're fishing a lot of timber, standing timber and yeah. and weed and that sort of thing, uh, the guys will throw those lures weedless rig right in amongst that timber, and it's virtually the most popular retrieve for a barramundi is a slow roll, just a slow wind, and you get that paddle tail kicking, and it's just about covering water and putting that lure in the right place and just winding slow. Every now and then you'll see the guys will they'll do a bit of a burn and kill, they'll wind a bit quicker and pause it, or they'll give the lure the odd shake or hop. 
but a lot of the time it's just a slow roll. So say you're fishing a point where it drops off from shallow to deep, yep. you'll watch the guys fish it. They'll, they'll be winding quicker at the start in the shallow water. And then as the, as the lure get, as the water gets deeper, they allow the lure to bounce down the face of the weed. So they'll pretty much fish that lure, walk it down the structure, unless they can see fish holding at a certain depth, yep. and then they'll retrieve at that certain depth. So flats fishing, it's a lot of casting and winding just above the weed because that's where the barra are. So we want to get that barra come out of the weed and nail that lure. Mate, if we're um, so we've we've covered a bit of the surface action, we've done a little bit of you know mid to bottom sort of depth casting. But what about trolling? Because I know the chatterbaits that you guys have as well uh, up there at Tackle Tactics. I've caught a lot of bass on that stuff. So is that something you could run on the barra? The hooks big enough? Are they strong enough for a bigger barra? Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because the the guys, especially kayak guys, have kind of changed things up a little bit as well with the trolling. They'll slow troll plastics, they'll slow troll chatterbaits, they'll slow troll hard bodies yeah. um, because the kayak is perfect for that stealth and that slow trolling. Mm. And then you'll see the boats as well. They'll normally pick out a lap. So if you haven't done a lot of barra fishing before, watch the other boats and you'll see them doing a circuit around a lot of the main basins, mm. just covering those sorts of areas. In that case, you might put something like a Bagley Rumble B11, which is an 11 centimetre hard body Ooh. with heavy hooks on it and it dives, you know, down to around that four to four to six sort of meter or so. Yep. So you can get that lure down in their face. And it's a very effective way to catch them. You know, if you've never fished for barra before, you might go and spend a bit of time fishing the weed edges and the points. Points are very, very popular because the fish will be on that point at some point in time working their way around the dam. So a lot of people will fish points, but if you're if you've never caught one before, go and have a play with the plastics and frogs and those sorts of things. And then you can always put the lure back in, troll around, eat a sandwich, and, you, and you know, you're still a chance of catching a good fish. Mate, um, and, and that's what it's about. It's normally when you pull out the sanger, the, uh, the fish come on the bite. I don't know why that is, but it's one of those things there when you generally do something else rather than holding the rod or going for that slow troll. Pull a sandwich out, everyone, because you are guaranteed to get smacked. If you have your hands full of something, you're guaranteed to get smacked. Always yeah. the way. And I, I wonder, I sometimes wonder, because it happens to me a lot in the kayak as well, <laughs> I'll stop to have a gas bag to whoever's fishing with me and a fish will eat my lure. And I think sometimes, you know, that there's an old saying, you know, if you don't change what you're doing, the result's not going to change. And I think sometimes when we're, we're so focused on a certain retrieve or the way we're fishing or something, we forget to mix it up. And then as soon as you stop to, you know, scratch your ear, have a sandwich, yep. whatever you're doing, you retrieve changes yep. and boom, you get the bite. Because I do know with bass is, uh, you know, I love my fly fishing, you know, all styles of fishing. But if I'm fly fishing uh, with a Dahlberg for bass in an impoundment and you, you, you've, you, you lay your fly out against the grassy, recently covered grassy bank and you're stripping it back and you've, you're hearing the bloop, but then you sort of, you've got to wait 10 seconds, right? And then bloop and then wait another 10 seconds. And it's generally during that period of wait that you get the you get the smack, you get the hit generally right beside your boat or your kayak. But at the same time, it's that patience. And quite often, if you haven't got a hit in the la in the first couple of strips, you get a little bit bored and you think, I just want to rip it out and cast somewhere else because, you know, you're not giving it time. And I think that's sort of relating back to what you're saying there is that, you know, when you're having a, a sandwich or you're having a chin wag with your mate, is that you've stopped the retrieve, you've stopped and generally if that's when the fish is biting, that's the time that you haven't given it to take the bait because you're doing all these other retrieves, aren't you? Really? 
Yeah, yep, yep. And, and it is like that with barramundi as well. Mm. You know, they say, you know, if you want to catch a barramundi, slow your retrieve down and now slow it down again. <laughs> because, you know, you can, they say you can never retrieve too slow for a barra. And, and you know, those soft, soft plastics feel real. They, yeah, they you do. know, they look real, they feel real. You can add a bit of scent on them so they, they smell real. So for a, for a fish, if you, you know, give it some time to eat it, and that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I find with people fishing soft plastics is in general is, hey, what are you doing? Stop ripping it away from the fish, you know? Give the fish, yeah. let them eat it. They want to eat it. It feels real. It looks real. Smells and tastes real. Just let, let them eat it. So, yeah, give them some time. And, and that's the thing with Barry. You watch people sometimes and they're up there ripping and ripping and ripping or whining fast or whatever with subsurface lures. Just, yeah, slow it down. Let the fish see it. And the other thing is if, if you find an area where there's active bait or there's active fish, it's worth putting multiple casts in there. If you find a good snag, you might not get a fish on the first one, second cast, third cast. It might be the eighth or ninth or tenth cast when a fish eats that lure. So that's that patience again, you know, if it, if it looks like a great snag, give it a bit of time to, you know, you've got to wake the fish up sometimes. And I've noticed that with, um, with, with Barra in particularly the saltwater Barra up on the Cape or the territory, whatever, is that they get, they have a reactive bite. If you annoy them enough, if you slam the water with a surface fizzer or anything like that, and you just keep pegging that snag and you're just casting with a fizzer and you're ripping it back, in a billabong, you know that snag looks great. Generally, you're right. You know, five, six, ten casts later, a monster from all sizes will come out and inhale your lure. <laughs> He's been watching it, but he just gets so angry, he comes out and smacks it. So, yeah, just keep pelting that area. Mate, um, what about colours? What's a, what's the, the colour range? Should we go into the UV plastics? Or what do you think when you're out in a dam? Because dam clarity can change a lot quite quickly. Yeah, and it's and barra are a funny fish. You know, if you ask if you ask a bunch of people their favourite colour, there's probably a bunch of colours in there. Mm. And and sometimes someone will have a great session on a fluoro. They might have a great session on a dark colour. They might have a great session on a light natural colour. So for me, I stick with that same theory that I always use. Make sure you've got a light sort of translucent natural colour. Make sure you've got a dark silhouette colour and make sure you've got a fluoro in there. But probably the number one colour is pearl. Pearl. Pearl white. Yeah. yeah. So just a pearl. Pearl is if you gave a lot of impairment guys the choice of one coloured plastic, a lot of the time it'd be pearl. But pearl is popular, and the natural baitfish colours are very, very popular, like the the AUs and those sorts of things as well. Opening night's been a bit of a secret weapon for us over the years, which is a very sort of clear, translucent plastic with a silver fleck through it. Yeah. And um, that catches the fish. But yeah, the green lanterns and all the natural baitfish sort of colours are very popular. Well, the, in the frogs, our favourite colour is is pearl, uh, and yep. and also I don't, I don't mind the blue black uh, in yep. in that yep. colour as well. Um, and of course, your your mud minnow more natural, mate. Um, when it comes to to night fishing, what about night fishing? There are a lot of guys do the night fishing in a Wonga Dam and all those sort of other places. They get out there. Obviously, uh, you've got to be one. You've got to be super careful of knowing where the timber is before we even think about wetting a line. Uh, I remember when we were up there fishing last year, a couple of guys uh, did lose their lives at night coming back and hit a, hit a stump um, yep. and, and threw them out of the boat. So, you know, work your track. And when you are plotting your track in and out of a bay and you're fishing at nighttime under the cover of the moon or whatever it might be, is make sure on your chart plotter, everybody, that you zoom your chart plotter in. Okay, you might have a 12-inch screen on your boat or a kayak or whatever boat because you're going quicker is your 12 inch screen you can it, it, it's that size 
but at the same time, get it right down to five, 10 metres, whatever the lowest part is. Don't keep it at 100 or 200 metres because you might miss a log by three or four metres coming in and on that wider expanse of your chart plotter, that can easily be misled when you're coming back out of it. So that's the first thing I've got to say before we even go night fishing is make sure you know your timber and you've marked it on your chart plotter before you head back out. Mate, what about night fishing? Talk to me about what people yeah. should use. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm 100% with you on that one as well. I think there's an old saying, you don't have to go out, but you do have to come home. And mm. if you've never fished an impoundment before, fish it in the daytime before you fish it at nighttime. Get an idea of the area that you're going to go and fish so that you know how to approach it at nighttime. The, in, the night fishing in impoundments is very, very effective and very popular. A lot of the guys will target the moon phases so that you know they like to bite around that full moon they they like looking at the almanac for the peak bite times even even if they're not night fishing it's that moon above in the daytime moon above moon below type situation they'll they'll get the bites on those so they'll work their almanac and at night time they love fishing the points so a lot of a lot of people will still fish banks and they'll still fish timber and that sort of thing but they'll find a productive point where there's fish and like you say if you've got your your sounder, you can see them a lot of the time and they'll sit on the point and they'll just cast that point. At some point, fish are going to come back through that area. The fish are going to feed. So they'll often pick a point or two and they'll just work those in those key bite times at night. Okay. In terms of, in terms of lures, a lot of the time it's, you know, you want to make a disturbance. So they might work frogs on the top. Otherwise, a lot of the time they're throwing a paddle tail plastic that's got a big tail thump. So mm. lots of action. Mate, it, it's it's it, you want to create the action. And looking back up to the moon, it obviously it puts that silhouette across the top of the water. Is that what the fish are looking for? If they're looking up to a surface lure, for example. Yeah, and I think I think a barra, a barra especially. You know, they they're sort of built for feeding up with their eye. You know, their eyes are up nice and high, and they got that big suction mouth, so they can cruise around on the bottom. They can lay in the weed, and there's no doubt they pick up the thump of that tail, and they can also see the silhouette of that lure. So they have no problem eating it, especially when the moon's out. They, they definitely get it into that big gob. The, the main trick with Barra is is then getting the hook set on them because that big bucket mouth sucks in, you know, a bucket of water with your lure. Yeah. So if they suck that in and they feel something's not right, boom, they'll spit it back out again before you even know what's going on. And I remember one of the first times I fished up there, they said, people said to me, just feel for the tick, feel for the, the subtle tap like, like a brim bite. And when you get that tick, you set that hook. And yeah, the first fish that I had, I was like, tick. And they're like, you got a bite, didn't you? And I said, yep, I think I got a bite. Wound it in and about eight inches up the leader was a scuff mark. And they said to me, that's how far in the fish's mouth the lure was and you didn't catch it. <laughs> so then you learn, yeah, strikes are free, strikes are free. If it feels like a fish, just whack it. <laughs> yeah. And so is. there's lots there's lots of things designed to improve that hook set as well. So uh, TT Lures does a, a jig head called a swim locks. Yep. And it's a, a jig head that is actually tapered like a triangle shape. So it's got a lot of weight in the bottom of the jig head and that helps control the paddle tail on those big paddle tail plastics so it doesn't turn on its side. And then there's a stainless steel attachment point at the bottom where you can attach a treble um, to your jig head as well. So it gives you, if you're fishing more open water, it gives you more hook points. So it increases your, your chance of setting the hook as well. Mate, it's a, it's a fascinating topic, the barramundi. And there's not a real lot of difference from saltwater to freshwater with the empowerments and tidal influence. So when you're targeting them, really, 
it seems to be all in one is to work the snags, look at the wind, what it's doing, of course, work the weather. Because if you do get a southerly change, that's one thing I've noticed in the dams, the fish can be on the bite. But if you get a bit of a cooler southerly breeze and the barometer drops, then generally fish are slowing down for some reason. Have you found that? Yeah, it's definitely a. Um, there's some people have got the theory if the barometer's moving, yeah, they're bite, they'll they'll bite more aggressively. But it seems to always be a rising barometer. Those storm fronts, the hot weather, you know, that hotter water temperature that really really gets those hot bites fired up. Mm. And then as we move into winter and it cools, or if you get those cool breezes in the afternoon and that sort of thing, it can definitely slow the bite in fresh water. Which uh, which drives us nuts. Yeah, the eating quality of a barramundi compared from tidal being saltwater to freshwater. Tell me the difference. Yeah, I've actually never eaten a freshwater barra. You've done yourself and, a great favour. Yeah, and like I, I know, like people are welcome to do whatever people want to do, and they're a stocked yeah. fish and all of that sort of thing. Uh, for me, I, I've I've not been brought up fishing, eating freshwater and fishing freshwater fish. So right. for me, I, I'm happy to just eat a flathead, and if I get a barra. In the salt, I'd probably let that go as well. But, um, yeah, for me, those impoundment fish, I just they're, they're too good to catch just once. You know, if I if I catch a metre barra, I want to put it back so that some little fella can get hooked up. Yeah, and that's, it made, it's, a, it's a really good point. I did have somebody bring back a barra that uh, that died. I don't know what happened to it, but anyway, they brought back some fillet. It looked amazing. I thought yeah, I'd give it a yeah. crack, and I, I cooked it up. I cook, And I can cook okay. I cooked it up, and it seriously tasted like a mud pie. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was horrible. So I do urge for anyone out there, if you do catch that freshwater barra, take a photo and, and try and get that amazing shot there. Get the light on it, get the photo, and make sure you release it back to the uh, to the depths because they are terrible to eat, and uh, you won't be doing yourself a favour if you knock one. Just get that photo, and that'll last a lot longer. Yeah, that's it. And for that, and for those southern guys that get up north there, you know, get that photo of that big barra, and then go back home and have a tasty feed of redfin. <laughs> they reckon that's they're it. pretty good. So. They're right. I, I had a yellow belly recently. My first yellow belly. I grew up sort of on the coast and did a lot of western stuff as well. But I, it was my first yellow belly that I can recall, and it was actually really nice. We also cooked up a bass at the same time, uh, and yep. a bass I would have you know put that in the same realm as a uh, as a barra, but the uh, yep. yellow belly was actually quite quite nice. Yeah, yep, yep. Different different type of species, hey, with the, mm. the the fat in them and that and just work around that and you're pretty good, hey? Yeah. I've, I've, to be honest, I've never eaten I've never eaten a freshwater fish, so maybe one day I'll have a go at one. Mate, come on down and uh, look, there's a, a couple of tilapia ponds around the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're not allowed to even catch those things. Oh, if you do, you've got to put it in a bin. But that's yeah. that's another topic we'll talk around the track because, uh, you know, they're, they're an amazing fish overseas. You can get them at the Sydney uh, fish markets, Chinatown. A lot of good seafood shops have them as well. Uh, but they cook them up in Chinatown. They actually taste really nice. I I really enjoy them. They're not yeah. a fish. I've caught a lot of them over the years, and I, you know, hundreds of them in a session and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I've never, I've never eaten one, but they do have really white flesh, and and lots of people say they're good eating. So maybe that's a, that's another topic. I'll go and eat one, and then we'll catch up and have a chat about them. But you've I'm sure, got... <laughs> I'm sure anywhere where they are up north, the barra are eating them. That's for sure. Absolutely, mate. And yeah. uh, you just make sure anyone who does go tilapia fishing, you cannot remove it from the area you caught it. It must be put in a bin. Otherwise, you could spread this noxious species around the country. Yep. Hey, Justin, thanks for your time this morning, mate. Great to have a chat with you, of course, from Tackle Tactics up there, home of Z-Man, and many other different brands, including Platypus Australia's longest and uh, everlasting fishing lines and braids. Yeah, yeah, no worries. All the best to everyone out there. Get up and catch a barra up north if you get the opportunity. 
And of course, you can get all of your tackle at the Anaconda stores and just jump online to anacondastores.com and find out what your taste is in your supply of tackle. Now, I do have to say as well, some of the overheads that I like to use, of course, is the Shimano. It's the DC-150 Corrado. Now, on that thing there, you can put up to, you know, 15 kilogram braid. You can have your 60 pound monoliter or fluorocarbon, whatever you like. Uh, You can run that dual eight kilo outfit. That's going to be strong enough to pull them back. They're really tough outfit but I'll tell you what when you do cast one of those uh, digitally controlled bait casters at night time it helps eliminate totally eliminate any backlash or overrun because it's the DC model so make sure if you're doing some uh, some fishing at night time you want to use the bait caster that's the outfit of my recommendations uh, for me I'm off to yeah birthday party at Harvey Bay so I'm going to try and catch a couple of squid and uh, maybe catch a flatty or two so People will hopefully be able to see a little video coming out soon of that sort of stuff. Good on you, mate. Where do they find that, pal? Uh, tackletactics.com.au. You'll find our, our articles and videos. Otherwise, Tackle Tactics TV on YouTube. Good on you, mate. Thanks for that, Just. Have a good day, mate. Appreciate your time. You too, Paul. Good All on you, mate. And there you have it. Justin Wilmer from Tackle Tactics. That's another episode of Step Outside with Paul Bird. I hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Take it easy. And may your rods bend often. Whatever that means. Whatever that means.